Thank you for listening to Faith Worship Center's weekly sermon. If you'd like more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithworship.org. Our daughter Hannah turns 33 today. Well, actually tomorrow, but we've been watching her grandkids all weekend, so. (laughs) Oh, it takes a lot of energy, let me tell you. Hats off to all the young parents out there that are raising children. I think our granddaughter, Gracie, I think is like 15 months or 16 months. I'm terrible about ages. I could be totally wrong, but she seems about that age. What age do they what age do they walk? Maybe she's more closer to two. I don't Does anybody in here know how old my granddaughter is? <laughs> I'm sorry, she'll be what? Two in April. Okay, so I was close. Yeah, okay. Thank you, Claire. I knew someone had to know something. Anyway, um, she was laying in our dog bed for Daisy. Daisy got a little bed, you know. And she's got her head down on Daisy's bed. And she's counting to ten. That's what I said. Wow. Year and a half counting to ten, playing hide and seek with her uh, brother. And um, it's just been a pleasure to have them in the house. They, they just, young grandkids make you feel young. I don't know. They just have a way of just making you feel young. And it's it's to catch up with them is fun. Uh, um, took Ollie and sledding in the backyard yesterday. Of course, what that means is I have to pull the sled. <laughs> and what it also means is he has to go really fast. So I'm running down the hill, pulling the sled, and. Um, we get to the bottom of the hill, and he says, again. And that repeated multiple, multiple times. And surprisingly, I still had the strength to do it and energy to do it. And Lynn said, okay, that's enough. We got to go in because she ran out of energy pulling Gracie around. But anyway, I don't know why I'm telling you all this, except for I love my family. And um, we have a big birthday celebration uh, with, with our kids and her today, with Hannah today. And it's just going to be a blast. We always enjoy having our family around. I, I don't know. I mean, I've, you know, I've counseled people over the years, many, many years, counseled people and stuff. And um, I remember the first uh, counseling session that I had with a couple that were actually older than me at the time, probably about my age. And they came in and they were talking about their family. And I just sat there and I went, I had no idea families could be this dysfunctional. Nothing against them. I, I They probably were brought up in what is relatively a normal family, I guess, but I never had issues in our family. My parents were amazing. Uh, my siblings were great. Well, my younger sister was a problem at times. But we all, for the most part, got along really good and didn't have crisis, so to speak, that we dealt with. And so I was I was kind of surprised. And um, I, I think our family is just amazing. I love our kids. I love the grandkids. I know a lot of you love your kids too. And But I get to stand up here and tell you how much I love my family. And they have been through, they have been through um, ministry with us for all these years, and just continue to astound us with their grandchildren. And Lynn, last night I was in reading uh, reading a book in the uh, living room, Christmas tree room, whatever you want to call it. We have two living rooms, so it's hard to differentiate. I'm in there reading a book and. 
And I hear Lynn going through the nativity with Oliver, our, our grandson. And she's explaining Mary and Joseph and, and um, going through the, the, the story, the Christmas story. And as, as she did, I suddenly hear Oliver say really out loud, he said, I think Jesus liked the gold. And something about the statement, really, it it just, I'm going to ask that thing, if that thing flickers one more time, could one of you guys just shut off those lights? That that will drive me bonkers. Um, it's this square light right here. It keeps coming on and off. and It's off right now, so it's fine. But if it starts acting up again, please kill it. Anyway, there's something about the statement that just totally um, excited me. Jesus... I think Jesus loved the gold. And I I think the reason it excited me is because somehow Christianity has moved from has moved from a, a position of prosperity to a position of poverty, so that when prosperity is talked about in the church, the people that would rather have Christianity be impoverished and, and be in poverty, get all jacked out, and they call it the prosperity gospel. Maybe you've heard criticism around that whole thing. And it's like, Jesus loved the gold. Some of you, I don't care what you think, but that's, that's a great comment from a little grandchild who, from a child's understanding, realized that the three wise men brought him all kinds of gifts. They brought Jesus gifts, and he loved those gifts. Good word, isn't it? Jesus loved the gold. Sim was up here, and she's sharing in transition as she's sharing. Um, okay, thanks. As she was sharing, I was, um, I know you probably can't see me, but I can see you better than normal. You can see me okay? Because I'm right under this light. Huh? As long as I stay put, I'll be good. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, my grand uh, or my dad, my father-in-law, was telling me uh, the story of the 1967 Israeli war. And um, I don't know how many of you are familiar with this war in history, but it's called the Three-Day War. It took place in 1967. And um, I'm sorry, the Five-Day War. Did I say three days? I think it was five days. Yeah, it went between uh, June 5th and June 10th, 1967. And I'd never heard of it. And he was telling me about this story because this is the most incredible war on history. You, you won't find this on Wikipedia. I checked. They didn't have this story that he told me on Wikipedia. But he was watching it on TV. And he said, when I saw what happened in that war, I realized there is a God. And I said, what do you mean? Now, he was raised in an atheist family. His mother was uh, brought up in a Baptist church, and uh, she married an atheist, and he remained an atheist uh, throughout his 96 years until the last two weeks of his life when he accepted Jesus. And um, so my father-in-law was raised in basically an atheistic home. And because he's raised not being taught about God, not being taught about Jesus, not being taught anything, not ever going to church, nothing, just as an atheist, because he's raised like that, 
he watched this war, and he said, when, whenever I saw the enemy in their tanks and with their guns and with their helicopters, suddenly climb out of their tanks, turn their helicopters around, drop their weapons, and start running back to their homeland without even Israel making an attack on them. Whenever he saw that, he realized there must be a God. Now you think about some of the biblical stories that we we read where Israel is being attacked by an enemy. And we shared one a couple, I shared one a couple weeks ago in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20 where they came up, they came up singing before, uh, before the enemy. They brought the singers before the enemy. And when they got there, the enemy had destroyed themselves. They just killed each other. Well, in this case, in 1967, a more current example of this, glory to God, could you imagine? Hey, could you imagine the shock on Israel? These guys are warriors. These guys are fighters. They're expecting to have an intense battle. And suddenly... The enemy takes off and runs the opposite direction away from them. Have anybody ever heard that before? You've heard that. Amazing. I'd never heard that story until he told me. When he told me, he said, that's when I realized there was a God. Now, he didn't get saved until years later. He got saved um, right around the time uh, of my wife. In fact, um, I think he said, I was the last one in my house to hold out. When she got saved, he was the last one. And when he said, when she got saved, that's when I knew I needed to get saved. <laughs> A little short story about our, our family. Anyway, I want to talk somewhat today about what I feel is something that um, has been quite a, a dilemma for me as a preacher over the years. Um, I've been uh, studying a lot about my personality and researching a lot. I shared this uh, uh, about a month ago when I started getting into the Enneagram, which is an amazing tool to help uh, rediscover your true personality, not the one that you've been given um, as far as people laying titles on you and putting things on you and stuff like that, but discovering about who you really are and looking into, uh, looking even into the dark recesses of your soul and um, finding some of those things that aren't so pretty and, um, you know, some of the ways that you've dealt with things and have hurt people over the years. And I feel like for my um, personality type, which is a group, there's a group of us out there and some of you are sitting in here And um, you're basically uh, people who are uh, challengers. You like to challenge the status quo. You like to challenge um, what's out there. You like to be able to motivate people to be challenged. You like to help people at the same time. But you're strong. In some cases, you you may be labeled stubborn. And you may be labeled hard-headed. And you may be hard to talk to without getting angry and without getting upset. And there's probably quite a few sitting out there, maybe, maybe not. But that's kind of how I've been over the years. And I think um, uh, part of my uh, 
backdrop personality. I'm not going to talk about myself entirely this message. I'm, I'm going to go somewhere with this, but I'm, I'm leading into this because I need to in order to help you understand, in order to help me express something, even if it comes out to be somewhat of apology, which my type does not like to do. But <laughs> it might help some of you. I um, also am a protector. So I'm a challenger and a very strong protector. And if you talk about something that is very close to my heart, I will protect that something. I, I will guard that someone and protect them. Um, I've done this multiple times in, in church life. I've, been, I've had several of my staff attacked over the years. Um, not necessarily these guys, but other staff that we've had over the years, people that we've had in the church. There's been you know, things that get said badly about them. And I'm, I'm, the one that will, I'm the one that will actually confront and correct and tell them, you know what, you need to just work this out with them and talk to them and don't try to talk to other people about their issues. Just deal with them, okay? Talk to them. And that's how I protect people. I, I get very defensive. I, I remember as a child being a protector. My older sister was Down syndrome, and I remember having to protect her uh, from onslaughts of uh, just mean, normal, nasty children stuff, you know, making fun of her for who she was as a Down syndrome person and uh, the way she looked and the way she acted and calling her retard and various other things that, uh, that you know, stupidity that reigns in the young minds of children. And I can remember going into high levels of protection for my sister, even to a point of chasing away bullies, two bullies that were in junior high. I was probably in fifth grade. They were in junior high. Uh, much bigger, much stronger than I, and yet when they saw me come to the door enraged because I heard they knocked on the door and then they laughed at her in her face, called her a retard, and started making fun of her right there in her face, two boys. And I was in the living room watching Bugs Bunny or whatever, and I got enraged and I came to the door and I looked at them and I started yelling and screaming at them and they must have seen my face and maybe, I don't know, maybe they saw my guardian angel behind me as well, who's probably a lot bigger. But they took off running like crazy, just like the enemies of Israel's army, right? And I'm pelting them with rocks all the way down the road until I got probably about a little bit less than a quarter of a mile. And I I had a good arm for rock throwing, and I was accurate too. And I was hitting these guys with rocks all the way down. I I got quite a ways from the house, probably close to a quarter of a mile, and I realized these guys are bigger than me. And if I keep chasing them farther down the road, they're going to come to their senses and realize that. So I better stop. So I stopped doing that, but went around back home. But I've had this defensive reaction in me for so many years. And I'm sorry if some of you have been on the other end of that. I feel like there might be some of you who have been on that. Some of you might not know what in the heck I'm even talking about. But some of you may have been on the other end of that. I'm, I'm finding... Uh, remedies for my soul in a way that I can work myself through uh, suggestions so that I can actually unplug some of those weaknesses in my life and turn those weaknesses into strengths. And one of these areas that I've done in, in one of these areas in the area of protection and in the area of, um, you know, being a challenger is preaching a message that is not on the status quo of Christianity. I've taken a look at Christianity over probably about the last six or seven years, and I've realized that Christianity has every potential of becoming its own worst enemy. 
I feel like it has been its own worst enemy over the years. Not in a general sense, but when you look at different belief systems that Christianity has developed that are outside of who Jesus was. In other words, for instance, the um, theology of cessationism, which basically doesn't believe that God heals anymore and doesn't believe that God has power anymore and that he does interacts with humanity that way anymore on a powerful lane. So it's just basically through a belief system. You just believe something and that's, that's, that's as far as your Christian level goes. Like you believe that you're saved and going to heaven. That's as far as it goes. You don't move outside of that scope. Okay. So basically there's this whole movement like this that has arisen out of Christianity and it's actually made itself its own enemy. And because I have this challenger instinct in me, when I first got saved, uh, rededicated my life in 1978, I began to read the word, I began to read the gospel, and I'd see Jesus walking around healing the sick. And I, I would read in Luke, Matthew, and John, Jesus walking around healing the sick, performing great miracles, the signs and the wonders that came from him, and the crowds would gather around him because of the miracles, not because of his teachings, but because when they came to him, he healed their sick and he healed their diseases. The crippled could walk again. The blind could see again. The deaf's ears were open again. And I'm reading the gospel and I'm going, I don't see this today. I don't see it in the church. I don't see it in Christianity. And this is back in 1978 and I'm pouring myself into this gospel and I'm seeing how powerful this gospel is and I begin to realize something has got to change. Something must shift. Something has changed. And it's gone away from the foundations and the roots. And you can call it uh, uh, dispensationalism. You can put a title on it to whatever you want to call it. But I call it away from, not towards. If If you believe that just being a Christian saves you and gets you to heaven and does nothing else for you in this life, and you're just kind of enduring the crisis of life, making it through the trials and waiting until Gabriel blows the trumpet so that you can be taken away. If you're living your life like that, then you have bought into a belief system that was never given by Jesus to his followers. Okay, this is where I have to put my own personality into check. And where I have to say, Maybe Jesus never presented this to his followers. Maybe he believed that his followers would transform and change this earth to look more like heaven. Maybe he really believed when he gave his, his disciples authority to heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons. Maybe he really believed they would continue to do that. Maybe he really had enough faith and enough trust in us as believers to recognize that our faith would be like his faith and his faith would be the thing that causes us to change this Earth to look more like heaven.
1 Corinthians 1.17 says this, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Did you hear this? He's saying that we can actually make the cross of no effect with our words. We might think we're carrying some wisdom, but our words can actually decrease the power of the cross because we think we've come up with something better or something more enlightening than that Jesus finished the work. Are you guys okay? This is going to turn into a Christmas message at some point in time. It, it really will. But what, what, I, what I realize in, in this is that Paul, who is possibly um, the greatest apostle to the Gentiles, is no... You know, he just, the guy just went out preaching the gospel to the Gentiles and God moved among him and there were numbers of people that were saved, multitudes of nations were actually transformed by the Apostle Paul. Great things that he did. And he's, he's saying, it didn't happen through my, my words. It happened through the power of the gospel. It happened through the power of God. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all those who believe. Verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. It pleased God through the foolishness of a message. I don't know how many of you really... This, see, this is, this is what my type of personality really grabs a hold of. This is like, all right, there's mystery surrounded inside this gospel there is a mystery in this message there is a power in this message that goes beyond human ability and human intellect it's a wisdom that is superior to humans and yet humans think their wisdom is superior to it and this is what god's called us into this type of foolishness Some people think we stink. Others smell the life in us. And we're like right smack dab in the middle of being the ones that have the potential to look foolish in everybody else's eyes. You think about how elevated science has become today. Science has become so elevated, it, it really astonishes me that, that scientists would actually... You see, scientists are created just like you and I are created, but it really astonishes me to think that they have the answers and are finding the answers that unlock um, the missing link, so to speak, or uh, to have more information about the human anatomy than they've ever had before and... Discover more about, I, I heard a report uh, just recently where there are 6 billion neurons that are active in our brain all the time. 6 billion neurons. And I thought, 6 billion. Who counted those? 
in the billions. <laughs> you know, and it just like the, the report astounded me because it's like, okay, people are going to hear that and they're just going to automatically believe it because science has discovered this, unlocked it. Science, the new God of the age. And it it astonishes me because we are created in God's image. And who is God? He is a creator. He's our creator. And here the creation is trying to come to conclusions about the existence of the universe without wanting to accept God as the creator. I don't know about you, but I don't trust their conclusions. I see them as attempts to actually elevate themselves in a place that only God holds. In other words, creations making themselves the creators. And I'm not slanting science, but I love science. I, I've read the science magazine multiple times. I, I, it intrigues me, these things that they're discovering. But I just feel like they're, disco- they're on a discovery and they're on a journey because within them there is a, a part of God in them that loves discovery and wants to understand. And unfortunately, Christianity has given them what? If we take the power of God out of the gospel, if we take the power of God out of this message, we have nothing but words left. And that holds nothing for people to have encounters. We preach Christ crucified, the Jews a stumbling block, and the Gentiles foolishness. This is just so clear and plain to me. We preach Christ crucified. Do you realize that Christ being crucified is ridiculous to the world? To the intellectual man, to the scientific man who has to have facts and they have to have evidence. It's ridiculous. And we look like fools because we preach the cross. And you know what? I love that. Because that's the wisdom of God. He wants you to look like a fool. Say, what do you mean? I don't understand this. I don't get it. Yeah. Because you're living a lot out of this instead of out of this. Jesus, the word of God, looked like a fool to all those that he encountered. It's why they crucified him. You and I get to walk with a wisdom that this world doesn't walk with. You and I get to have a faith that is living. Danielle was speaking in communion last week, and as she was leading communion, she said something, and as she said it, I grabbed a hold of it because she was talking about how believing means the first, the first word in believing is be, and how believing means to just be. And that we get to live out of being. 
And as she was saying this, my, my mind is going, drop the E out of the word believing, and you have be living. And I told her this afterwards, and she goes, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> I said, you can use it, it's free, go ahead and use it. But as you were sharing, I just, that's what my mind did with that word, be living. Because this gospel that we preach is a powerful gospel, and we get to live it out. And we get to be living. And you can't work yourself up into God's faith. It comes. You want to know the cool thing about faith? It takes faith to have it. It doesn't take understanding to have faith. It takes faith to have faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Jews request a sign, Greeks seek after wisdom, but preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, the Gentiles foolishness, but those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness is God, the weakness of God is stronger than men. Wow. Wow. The foolishness of God. I didn't know he was foolish. The weakness of God. I didn't know he was weak. Both are stronger than the ways of men and the wisdom of this world. What amazes me so much, maybe it's not just this generation, I don't know, but we have 24-hour news stations going around the clock and they're just, you know, perpetrating all sorts of ideas and opinions and all kinds of things that are far away from real news. And what amazes me is how people can buy into that and yet reject the message of the gospel. Now, for you guys, this is all probably you understand what all this is about and all of that, because you have Christ. You carry Christ within you, and he is the hope of glory. But for people in the world, they can't get this. It's not that they don't want to get it so much as they can't get this. Because this message that we preach, it comes by faith. It comes by something that's a gift. One of the ways Christianity has become its own worst enemy is that they've actually turned against the very people that God called them to minister to. They look at people groups that are living in blatant sin. They, they make an enemy out of them. They demonize them. They look at, they look at um, others that are outside of their scope of understanding and they belittle them and they uh, you know, put them down. That's... When did Jesus ever call us to make fun of another human? When did he ever call us to belittle another person because they didn't meet our standards? When did Jesus ever walk like that? When did he tell his disciples, you know what? They're they're never going to understand you, but go anyway. No, he just said go. 
Because in the message, there is enough grace and enough faith to stir up in even the most hardened individual the faith that's necessary to receive and accept it. Luke chapter 1. I, the gospel is amazing to me. I told you this would turn into a Christmas message, and it is going to, but it, albeit brief. But this is amazing to me, because right from the outgo in Luke's account, Luke chapter 1, inasmuch as many as have taken in a hand to set in order a narrative, these things which have been fulfilled among us. So here's an eyewitness writing, saying basically, I saw Jesus, I witnessed him, I saw his miracles, I saw everything that he did, I was with him for those three and a half years that he walked on the earth, I followed him every step of the way, I am an eyewitness, I bear witness to who he is. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses of the minister of the word delivered to us, it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of these things in which you are instructed. There was in the days of Herod, king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, the division of Abijah. His wife was the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking in the commandments, the ordinance of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in order of his division, according to the custom of priesthood, his lot fell to burn the incense in the temple of the Lord, and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he troubled. He became troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. For you, have, you, uh, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Now this is just amazing to me, because right away we go beyond science in this story. Right away, as we're reading this, he is giving an accurate eyewitness account of these things that transpired. And he's basically going outside of the realm of intellectual understanding. He, number one, shows that an angel appears to Zacharias the priest. An angel. An angel. They're still around, you know. This is what... Another thing that Christianity has done to make itself its own worst enemy is that they denied the activity of angelic beings. They no longer do that. It's like suddenly they just decided, time's up, or God just decided, time's up, we don't need angels anymore. Put them all in the lounge chair in heaven and let them just rest. It's ridiculous, and yet... Anytime there's a major occurrence in Scripture, a major seasonal change, seasonal shift, angels show up. And even when it's not just so much a major seasonal shift, angels show up. Angels are around. They're in here right now. They like these kind of messages. They like being talked about. They don't like being worshipped, but they like being talked about because they're from a realm where the intellect can't see into. Until faith is ignited. And when faith is ignited, you start seeing into that realm. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That realm is the not seen realm. And that realm is what looks foolish to so many people who don't believe. That's what looks completely foolish. 
to so many who don't believe. And you cannot shut your message up because someone thinks you're foolish. Pay the cost, look foolish, and preach the gospel. Look foolish and lay hands upon a sick person who's in the marketplace and watch him get healed. The Guatemala trip that's coming up. Every team that we've ever taken to Guatemala recognizes that they have within them the power to heal the sick. Though they never really had seen it before they went to Guatemala. And everyone that comes back from that trip has experienced the power of healing. Through the Guatemala trip. Amazing. I guarantee you, it will change your life and change your perception as to who Christ in you is the hope of glory. Right away. The second thing that happens. This angel announces a biological impossibility. A biological Biologically, it was impossible for Elizabeth to bear because she was past her childbearing years. And Theophilus is writing this down as best as he can. Or Luke is writing this down to Theophilus as best as he can to say, okay, you wanted to hear this? This is it. And he immediately starts with two things. Angels and a supernatural birth. I don't know, it, it gets even better. Because Zacharias, he says, how, how am I going to know this is true? He says, you know what? Because you don't believe? Or he, he actually is arguing with the angels. He says, Elizabeth's past a year. She's not going to bear. She can't, you know, she can't give us children, blah, 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 blah. And he's doing this whole logical out of his head thing. And all of a sudden the angel says, you know what? Just because you don't believe, you're going to be mute until the son is born. And when the son is born... You'll get it. Now, I don't understand that. That truly is a mystery. But I do thank God for the season of grace that he basically didn't tell Zacharias, you're not going to be able to speak for the rest of your life because you didn't believe me. <laughs> he just said until his son is born. So it's nine months. He had to learn sign language, had to do the whole thing. I mean, this is like crazy. And this is... The beginning of the gospel. And then it turns into something even more crazy. Mary, a virgin. Betrothed to Joseph. Gabriel appears to her. Hail Mary. Blessed and highly favored. You're going to bear a child. But I'm a virgin. That can't happen. You talk about something that messes with scientific biology. This is totally it. It doesn't matter because, get this, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you will conceive. This won't be Joseph's baby. This will be the baby of the Holy Spirit. This will be Jesus the only begotten Son of God. Wow. 
How do you wrap your head around that? I mean, how do you really wrap your head around that? You don't wrap your head around that. Faith wraps a hold of that and grabs it. It's your faith that causes you to walk out this life-giving power that you carry within you. It's your faith. It's not your intelligence. You could have read this story multiple times, right? I mean, you could have read this as a child. You could have heard it said as a child. You could have had family reading uh, the family Bible every Christmas on Christmas Eve. They could have sat down with the family Bible and read the story to you. And it still wouldn't have the impact on you until your faith grabs a hold of the message. And when your faith grabs a hold of the message, suddenly something happens and you have an encounter with the message. And when you have an encounter with the message like that, your life has changed and you'll never be the same. And that's, here you sit. People who have encountered this message of power by grace. This is the foolishness that Paul writes about. There are scientists trying to discover mysteries today outside of the wisdom of God. There are people walking among us. They grew up in church their whole life. Grew up in church. Somehow, because their faith did not grab a hold of the message, somehow they grew apathetic towards the message. And many of them we don't see through our doors anymore. I believe Mary was a virgin. And I believe the Holy Spirit came upon her. And I'll leave how that happened as a mystery. But I will say this. The virgin birth is one of the things that will not be compromised and cannot be compromised. No matter what science tells us that it's impossible, we serve a God of miracles. I would say probably for the last four years, on many levels, my faith has been challenged. In April, when I fell on the roof, I was just running this through this morning, and I know I've shared this before, but on April, when I fell on that roof and landed on my shoulder, knocked my shoulder out of joint, Something shifted in this whole upper body of mine, and it's like not the same, okay? So it's been since April that I've had that accident, and I've been doing exousia, and I've been speaking, I've been doing mirror ministry, telling it, coming to order, coming to order. I've had my faith challenged so much over this. Honestly, I'll be glad 2019 is over. 
that it, that it finally gets by. Because I believe 2020 it's significant and holds a, a much better appeal. But I'm going to tell you that even though these things challenge my faith, I will still preach a gospel of power. And I will still believe in the power of healing. Because this gospel has changed my life. And I will never depart from its way. Too significant. My own personal experience. My shoulder still remains discombobbled. My what's this clavicle bone, I think is what it's called up here, still is a little off. I don't know if something cracked. I have no idea. I, you know what? Who gives a rip? I'm still going after this thing. And because I carry Jesus Christ and he is the healer and because the healer lives in me and I don't have sickness and disease because he's in me, he heals sickness and disease. And because of that, I keep going after this thing. And I will see it healed. Because it is the power of the gospel. It's what we get. And if the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in me, then guess what he's going to do? He's going to heal this mortal body. Uh, One more thing to share, and then I'm going to wrap it up. Having an interesting conversation with um, a couple recently who seem to be um, a little confused about belief and faith. Because like so many other people, they believe that faith and belief are the same thing. Anybody else in here think that? Faith and belief? Some of you don't want to raise your hands. This is a trick question. Trick question. (laughs) So I sat with them and I just kind of helped them through some things and understanding because it's a very common misunderstanding in, in our Christian Christian uh, walk today. It's, a lot of people think faith and belief are the same things. Faith and belief are not the same thing. They're different. You can believe something. That doesn't mean you have faith. Let me explain. There are some people who believe the world is flat. They really do. There's, they're, they're flat, flat earthers. They, they are, they're out there. They have a whole theology to back up their belief system. Flat earthers, and they just believe it, you know? It's like, oh, it's not the end of the world because they believe the earth is flat. Who cares? I mean, it's like, what? what you want to believe that? But that doesn't give them faith. That just gives them a belief. Belief is not faith. But faith does incorporate belief. Figure that one out. Belief is not faith. It's like fact is not truth. You can have a fact. That doesn't make it the truth. Truth overcomes fact. It can, it can change facts. Someone could be in a wheelchair. They can get healed by God because the truth has come to that person and now their fact is changed. Fact is, is an evidence According to the wisdom of man, truth is the evidence according to the wisdom of God. 
and we carry the truth. Let's all stand. This message I've been preaching for a long time, and though it be challenged on many different levels over the last four years, I still hold to it to be truth, and I will not depart from it. It's like, you know, honestly, I am a challenger. Part of my personality wants the challenge. I live for the challenge, and I look forward to the outcome of challenging all the doubts that try to assail us. And I just want to just say to you guys, you're the most amazing people on the planet. You believe and have faith in something that is so powerful that we can change this planet to be a better planet. Wouldn't it be something if somebody just unlocks, if somebody unlocks through faith a cure for cancer where no one on this earth has to have any kind of cancer ever affect their body again. I believe the wisdom of God holds such an answer. Science is doing its best to make the discovery. Wouldn't it be something if the wisdom of God intermingled with the science of man and an encounter happened so that the cure comes? Wouldn't it be something that if the wisdom of God just so happens to be enough to make the transformation. I live for that day. Went to visit my father-in-law the other the other day. Many of you know he fell and broke his hip and has had brain sur- or brain uh, tumor in his brain and various other things. And uh, for the last couple of weeks, he just really hasn't been home. He hasn't been with us, and uh, in more ways than one. And went to visit him the other day and. Um, uh, Lynn and her sister had been there for a while. I, I walked in and, and saw him, and I began to talk to him. And as I began to talk to him, he began to, like, brighten up in his eyes, got a smile on his face, recognized who was talking to him. I was getting a response from him. They couldn't get a response from him. I was getting a response from him. He started talking to me, started uh, saying some things to me, and um, quickly went back to sleep within about three, four minutes. But Lynn said something to me, and she said it before. She goes, he, he always responds to you. He doesn't respond to me the way he responds to you. When you talk to him, he actually, he actually responds. He like comes back to his own self. He'll get that little laugh going. He'll get that little smile on his face. He likes something, something he relates to about you. And uh, so when we went Friday, uh, Lori said it too. She goes, what is it? I, I have not been able to get that kind of response from dad. How do you get that kind of response from dad? So I don't know. I don't. But I do have a belief. And that is that he responds to who I know walks in me and walks besides me. And it's someone he loves very much.
this gal sitting right down here. I can't see you that well because the light is shining right in my face, but I just wanted to um, I just wanted to share with you that Jesus really likes you a lot. He thinks you are so dear and so precious. He loves you. And he right now is answering a prayer that you've had for many years. Right now in this very moment. There's a prayer that you've been praying for years, huh? He's answering that prayer right now. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what it involves, but I'm just standing here saying the answer is on its way. I just bless you. Father, thank you for this day. I want to thank you for who you are and all that you've given us, Lord. I want to thank you for faith that is a gift. And it comes on many different levels and has many different flavors. But it's substance and it's evidence. And it moves mountains. And it's what we're going for. Bless this house, Jesus. Thank you.